Welcome to the Frame of Reference podcast. This episode is focused on career, on motivation, and purpose. The three go hand in hand, and oftentimes I always find that the overlaps between all three are what lead to some really important questions, you know, at key periods of our growth. For a lot of listeners, this is going to be informational. And for some listeners, this is going to be just uh, another way, another perspective to look at, you know, the, the things that matter to you in your career, the things that gave you meaning and purpose overall at your work, or just something you enjoy doing for a living. I'm blessed to have Zach Bollinger on the show. He has uh, done multiple TED Talks, very talented speaker. He has his own show on a podcast called The Zach Bollinger Show. I really implore you guys to check that out. Um, and he also wrote a, a book called Don't Be a Zombie, How to Find a Career You Love. So he's a career consultant as well. And we talk about career growth, feeling stuck, pandemic burnout, how to recognize one's inner purpose, introverts and extroverts. And we get into it and I really enjoy his perspective on everything. And he's just got such a clear and concise way of speaking and also just, you know, build his confidence from the ground up. And it's it's just great to, to listen to somebody um, who has accomplished a lot and also has a lot to give. So without further ado, this is Zach. Well, hello. Good afternoon, Zach. How's it going? I'm doing good, Ashish. How are you? I'm doing well. So just like I was saying, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I know uh, you got a busy schedule, but you know, I'm, I'm very excited to speak with you. I really appreciate it. Anytime we can talk about career development, I can go for hours. So thank you so much. Amazing. Amazing. So looking at one of the things that really interests me, interests a lot of my audience, and I honestly thinking just my generation, one of the things that really struck true to, to, to me growing up um, in various countries was I was like a jack of all trades. I never really had like a focus in life and I could sort of pinpoint a ton of people in my circle that didn't really have like one specialization that they were good at. And a lot of what you focus on is unlocking people's potential, their purpose. How did you get around to this track? And, and did you see that around yourself when you were growing up as well? No. And it was in the mirror the whole time. I just never noticed it. You know, Ashish, I think we do a poor job in the United States of really talking and teaching about career development. You know, the average person, as I've done studies, the average person spends more time planning dinners, going to movies, hanging out with friends in a month than they will a lifetime of career development. If you think about that, that's a really sad concept because we just don't spend enough time on honing in on our strengths and our abilities. And for me, you know, I never knew what I really wanted to do with my career. I went to college. I basically stumbled around. Uh, I couldn't make it in accounting or logistics. And so they stuck me in marketing on my last uh, entry and I got into sales. And the only reason I wanted to get into sales was to make money. And I did have a successful career, but I think at the end of the day, that leaves you a little unfilled at the end of the day mm -hmm. after you've been in it for years. And so one of the, my strengths and my, my passions was teaching. 
And I remember my fourth grade teacher always told me, she said, we know what you're going to be, Zach. You're going to be a teacher one day. And, you know, I never, I thought about teaching as in the classroom setting. I didn't realize that there was other avenues you could take teaching because I wasn't educated on every career out there. And so as soon as I started to learn more about careers and what I could do with a good teaching angle and speaking became one of my passions. And that's what brought me here today. Amazing. And I think there's not enough people right now with that honesty, I think, with uh, their approach. I know there's a lot of people that have become career consultants that do uh, do career coaching. But a lot of times I think, you know, again, I'm just going to loop it back to, to, you know, people in my generation, you know, uh, between the ages of like, say, 25 to 40, you know, around that time when, uh, you know, motivation and passion kind of hits a lot of people like a, like a thunderbolt, like this is what I'm going to be focusing on. Um, what made you want to unlock people's passions? What is it that, is it an altruistic motive or is it an, a, a sort of just like your calling as, as you were saying, you know, as teachers were saying, hey, Zach, you know, you're gonna be a teacher one day. You know, it's a great question. I think for me, what led me down the journey was is hearing other people's stories. And mm -hmm. I started off this journey and I started in my passion, I wrote a book called The Hot Seat, How to Meet the Challenge of a New Era in Job Interviewing. And I started going around to teaching colleges, how to interview strategy on job searches and stuff like that. And the question became from students and professionals was more around, hey, I don't like my job right now, or hey, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what I want to do with my career. And as I began to talk with these people and I had success stories that's the number one thing that motivates me in life. I, I mentioned in my book, I was talking to Ben, I was at the University of Tennessee and he came up to me after one of my presentations and he said, you know, I wanna be a dentist. And we, we began to talk and dissecting that. And I said, well, why do you wanna be a dentist? What do you wanna do for your patients? How do you wanna help them? What led you to this career path? And we started to peel back the onion and he said, you know, I really don't wanna be a dentist. And I said, well, Ben, why would you be a dentist then? And he said, because my parents want me to be a dentist, but I don't want to do that. And so we, we talked about some concepts and uh, Ben is actually now a really successful sales rep right now. And that's what he wanted to do with sales. And so I think by having these stories under my belt, these testimonials, as I've seen other people transform their not lives, it really starts to motivate me as um, a change agent. And that's one thing that I aim to do as well. And, you know, I think at all aim, at all stages in life, I think there's the idea of, you know, we see a ton of people, a ton of celebrities that have made it. Uh, and especially in the podcasting world, you know, there's a ton of people that have made it to the, the highest levels. And you listen to them and you're like, wow, it sounds so simple when all you have to go through is a couple like big failures in life and okay you know I'll, I'll maybe find myself there but I think when something seemed like an unsurmountable task um, whereas you know you're very focused on the ultimate goal what we forget oftentimes is the small steps the minor steps the reformatting the character adjustments we need to make to to get there um, what are your thoughts on sort of talking more about you know, the, the intrinsic angle, intrinsic motivators, 
Do you think we teach that enough in our education system? You know, I'm sitting here in Canada, uh, but globally speaking, it doesn't, it's not so different compared to the US. I mean, we don't really teach kids about intrinsic motivation. There's a lot of carrots, which is, you know, money or, you know, power and wealth. But do you think there are other intrinsic motivators that can get us to unlock our passions as well? Absolutely. You know, and that's one of the things I get challenged on and I love it. I think we should have more challenging debates is some people come to me and say, Zach, you know, my passion in life is spending more time with my children. I have two children. They're young. I want to be close to them right now. I don't see anything outside of, you know, what I want to do career wise. I want to have a job that lends me more time to spend time with my kids that's absolutely fine. If that's your motivation in life, no problem. That's an intrinsic value that you want to be there with your kids growing up. But I always challenge people, why not have both? Why couldn't you find a career that you love and enjoy and work in at maybe less hours and spend some time with your kids? Um, you can do both. There's no law that says you have to have this and you have to do this. Um, I think sometimes we get pigeoned by hold by our experience in life. We look at our resume. We have other hiring managers, other people around us saying, well, you've done IT all your life. So that's what you need to do. You need to look for jobs in IT. We made it so difficult to transition to career paths in North America, across the world, too, because a lot of times what do people ask for most when you first uh, enter a job or you first start applying? What experience do you have? And so we have to get over that barrier, but I think you're right. I think we don't look at intrinsic value too. And I would say this too, why can't you do both as far as make a lot of money and love what you do? Uh, the, in fact, the majority of the business owners that are multimillionaires that I've interviewed over my course in time actually love their job. Now they're putting in the hours, they're working 60, 70 hours a week, but it's a greater calling to lead a business and also to make that kind of money. So I think you can have both, but I do think we do miss the boat on intrinsic value in life. And, you know, uh, one of the, this leaks me back to um, your TED talk about life is short. And one of the things you mentioned in that was that you believe in zombies. And I thought that was a great uh, introduction. Um, how about uh, we talk about that concept a little bit, because that really struck home to me, too. Uh, I do see that zombification of our life a little bit. Um, how did you come about uh, seeing that in your experience? And, and what is it that we can do to identify when we can become zombies and how to stop that? Well, it's funny because I started that tagline from my TED talk and then uh, people are very honest sometimes and they say, look, I'm a zombie. And, you know, what I've seen by that is I've traveled around North America, you know, teaching students or professionals, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I talk to somebody that example for Ben, who wanted to be a dentist, or I talked to Eileen, who's been in the same career for 20 years and says, my goal is to spend 15 more years. I hate my job, but, you know, I'll spend 15 more years on this to retire and, and then eventually go out. And, you know, that's kind of what I mean by a zombie. You know, we, we get stuck in the nine to five. Oh, God, it's Monday. Thank God it's Friday mentality. And not to say every day is going to be roses and sunshine in your career. You're always going to have obstacles in it, of course. But I think if you're happy the majority of the time in your career that beats out the minority, then that you've got a really great career. 
And what I've seen over, you know, the United States and statistics back me up. There was a Gallup poll by USA Today with 153,000 American workers and they were polled and then seven out of 10 people don't like their job. Well, if you think about that, that's 70% of Americans that don't like their job that they're currently in. And so I think what happens is, is we get so complacent in our careers. You wake up later and you're seven, 10 years in your career and you're like, I don't really like this, but I don't have any plans on changing. And so that's where I try to intervene right there and say, it's time to change. It's time to work towards that path to do that. And I always, I love using it from an academic standpoint too. I've used this uh, before on my podcast as well. It's the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you're familiar with that. And, you know, level one and two is what we're all concerned about, right? Which is basics, the living, the putting food on my plate, the paying the bills. And the rest of it is, and I think the most important part of it, I think as a society that we're focusing on more now is belonging. And I think, you know, what we struggle with at a young age and an adolescent age is figuring out where we belong. And, you know, oftentimes, like you said, some people want to become dentists and later realize, no, that's not my calling in life uh, or teachers and, and so on. You know, I, I was always jealous growing up of the kids that they knew. They knew exactly what they were going to be good at. Um, and what happens is when you don't have a sense of belonging, there's a sense of frustration that replaces that sense of need for belonging. And that is also a very double-edged sword, right? There's a, a clear sense of frustration and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people aged 25 to 40 uh, in North America. And the reason is, and they have the most energy to, to be vocal about it, to protest, to speak up at work. And I just think, you know, we, with this pandemic right now, it's kind of only exacerbated it. It's, it's only made it a little, like a little bit more divisive. What do you think is a common thread for all of us when it comes to, you know, a sense of belonging? Is it that we need to find a sense of community or is it that, you know, your purpose comes from what you're good at, maybe just honing in on your skill set? Yeah, that's a great question, because when I talk about purpose and passion, I do mean in your career. Now, you can have other purposes and passion in life. Maybe it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your children. It's your family. So, you know, passions can take on multiple meanings. When I talk about passion and, and purpose, I'm talking about specifically in your career. Now, it can lead to both. For example, I interviewed a rabbi last week for our career library. And so his fulfillment was to his religion, as well as full-time work. So that's obviously, you know, right there is in, in a nice package, but it doesn't always work like that. You know, we, I have a passion for football. That doesn't mean I'm going to be an NFL player, but I enjoy watching college football. I'm immersed in it. I'm passionate about it. It's one of my hobbies. And so I enjoy it. But at the same time, I think it's good to be spread out. When you talk about a sense of belonging, I know what you're talking about. It's so funny. I actually interviewed my first guest. He's a family medicine physician. I grew up with him. And we grew up from elementary school all the way to now he's family practice doctor. And I was always jealous of him because he knew exactly what he wanted to do at 10 years old. And that's very rare. And he stuck with it and everything kind of aligned. And he kind of almost knew his calling at 10 years old. Meanwhile, I'm in college at 21 trying to just get through marketing 101. 
So, you know, I agree with you. There is that, um, you know, frustration. But at the time, you know, I look back, did I spend a lot of time really learning about career pathways? Did I network enough? Did I do things enough to develop my own skills? No, I just stumbled through. And so I think that's a lot of times what we do in life. So I do think there is an importance of a sense of belonging outside of careers. And and since, you know, I feel like we're uh, the millennial generation has been kids for longer. I feel like we feel more entitled to be kids for longer. You think that age gets into our head? I mean, I certainly think that once you enter your 30s, you start to think, well, you know, if I, it's too late to go back. Um, but a lot of people don't see that there's a whole life ahead of you still. Um, but there is a stigma that you need to be your most productive in these years. You need to be your most active. Um, you know, and then we sometimes see people who have a late renaissance and a late realization. Um, you know, how do you sort of tackle these issues when somebody just feels like that age becomes a blocker? And for some, you know, I, I work in the tech field, age can be a blocker sometimes, but it's not necessarily a blocker. Yeah, and it can be. And if you're honest with you about yourself, sure it can be. But at the same time, you know, um, you look at your life and it's amazing to me because Colonel Sanders didn't fry his first bucket of chicken until he was 65 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that are going on to retirement and they want an encore career. And I've worked with those individuals and they're like, where do I start? I don't want to be in manufacturing for the next 30 years and you completely understand it, but they want fulfillment in a career. And so that's when you start honing in on those strengths, developing them, finding something in the marketplace that aligns with your talents. But like you said, I think our generation as millennials, and I'm towards the older side of the millennials, we tend to, and there's generation, like you said, there's generations. So there's baby boomers. And I talk about it in the book, but we all have different ideas on career development. So if, for example, my grandmother would say, graduate, fill out an application, go apply at a job, work 35 years, get a pension, lay on the beach. Right. It doesn't work like that anymore. And so the millennial generation on the average changes jobs about every three years. And so I think millennials are doing more of that. They're looking for other things. But I do meet the people that are my age that say, Zach, I've been doing this 17 years. What else am I going to do? I think that's the wrong attitude to have. I think what you need to ask yourself is, again, what are you good at? Sound like a broken record, but identify those strengths and then let's take them there from there. And it could be in a career, I talk about in the book, it could be in a career you're currently in. So let's say you're in sales for a certain company. One of your strengths might be designing concepts or designing ad campaigns. You're just in the wrong function at your current company. How do we get you there to that other field? How do we get you there? How do we move you up in your current career? And when it comes to competition, I think, Moving up is essentially the goal of many, right? Which is, I want to, I started out my career here. And as you mentioned with millennials too, there's that, you know, there was a little bit for a long, uh, you know, for a long time, there's a little bit of a, a, a entry barrier, you know, with like, you have to have three years or five years of experience for an entry level job sometimes. And that didn't make sense in many cities in many places in North America. Um, and that, started to be a, become a global trend. And now you start to see that, you know, base level jobs 
um, after pandemic, you, you know, they're starting to pay a little bit more. They're starting to own up to that a little bit. They want that talent again. What is it from an entrepreneurial standpoint? What is it that the business community can do when listening to, you know, this type of conversation and say, what can we do for the next generation or this current generation to help them be more mobile? Because as employees and people thinking about ourselves, we, we often over-index on that. But I'd like to also, you know, vocalize that same to, to the community of employers and understand what their thoughts are. It is certainly a big problem. Um, I don't think corporations put enough effort and time on career development, even with their own employees. And if you look at satisfaction surveys, if you find your, your employees that are disengaged in your workforce, that's a problem. And it leads to unproductivity. And so your productivity is not there at the highest and therefore your business is gonna ultimately suffer. So it's a win-win for both sides. Um, I don't think they know where to begin is the problem. Um, I think too many times, let me give you an example. You're talking to about a sales manager and they want to hire somebody for an opening. A lot of times they want 10 years experience, but what companies need to realize is who's currently among your employees that you could hire to advance them at a higher level. And sometimes, and I've seen it over and over again, I'm sure you've seen it in your industry, People get jobs just because of their experience. It doesn't mean you're any good at it. And so, so you can have 10 years, you could have floated along in a company and a managerial experience. Maybe you have rock star reps that work under you, kind of pulled you along, even though you were a bad leader. Then you apply for another company and all of a sudden you got 10 years experience. So all of a sudden you're high on the totem pole. But if the companies would start spending more time with these individuals and start peeling back the layers, I always encourage employers, talk to the team they used to manage. Find out somebody, not just recommendations that they give you, but ask if you can speak to other people that were on their team to see how their leadership is. So that's just one example how corporations can do a better job of teaching, training, giving leadership to people that are currently in their organization. Because Ashish, guess what's going to happen? If you're unfulfilled, you don't think you're going to get developed, you're not getting promotions in your current job, what's going to happen? You're going to go to somewhere else. And so I think a lot of the times when we look at high turnover ratios among employers, they have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, have we done everything we can to fulfill somebody in their current career? If they're not being fulfilled, maybe they're not good at it because they're in the wrong function. Then we need to tackle that and move them, try to get them to another function. And because we're talking about career transitions, and this is such a like a, a current day topic because automation is one thing, uh, climate change is another thing. There's so many factors happening with regards to how we are changing our career paths so quickly. What is it that you think that would be like the defining um, feature of many organizations? Because I saw during the work from home uh, era, the pandemic era, the major flexibility was, wait, you can be just as productive from home. You can be just as productive remotely. What are some of the things that you anticipate in the future as a skill set for, for us to, to focus on, um, generally speaking, and, and you know, capitalize in the labor market, and then turn that over to employers to say, you know, 
beyond just the merits I have, like say beyond just the companies I've worked for, what can I do as an individual to get more money, more value in the company? How is it that today's experience can be more fruitful in the, in the future? I think you have to leverage on two things if you're growing in your current career. Number one is learn emotional intelligence. And what's that mean? That's the ability to read others in the situation and then how to react in that situation. And if you have high emotional intelligence, you can read rooms, you can read people, you can understand what's going on, and then you know how to react to different people's personalities. That's going to put you above most of the people out there because most people don't have emotional intelligence. Number two, I think what you have to do is network. Um, you know, it's you've heard this old saying, and it's still true today. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And a lot of the times your network is going to play a pivotal part in your growth step as a career journey. Um, not only in your career journey, but think about networking as this. When you transition to a different career, wouldn't it be awesome to have three or four people that you've talked to and engaged with? You've learned the company somewhere else. You've learned those skills. You've talked to them. You develop them. And then you go in that interview and you say, well, I've worked with Sally, John, Nick, and Austin, and we've talked about this career, and I've actually enjoyed it. I just put you among more people, and especially if they are in endorsements to you. You know, I always say a network with hire managers, because think about it. Who do hire managers you generally network with? <laughs> They're hiring managers. And so even if you're not a fit for that current organization or that hire manager, maybe they're like, hey, you should talk to Sally. She's a rock star and she's networked with me on this and she's looking to do this. So networking doesn't just stop either by having a LinkedIn profile. I think that's one of the misnomers of LinkedIn is, okay, I have a picture up now and I have my job title, so I'm good to go. That covers the networking box and we click it. You have to network every day. And it's about building relationships, teaching people who you are, giving to them and letting them also learn about your abilities and strengths. That's wonderful. And, I, and I'm so glad you touched on emotional intelligence because that's one of the, the core components of some of the things I've written and talked about as well. And um, I think it just lends itself to uh, what how we define ourselves as personalities. I mean, I tend to be a bit more extroverted. Um, and I think most people in podcasting do end up being pro extroverted, maybe not in their personal lives, but uh, I always find that it was easy for me to be talkative with others, talk to others and expand my network. And I got myself into tech sales um, and that just happened, right? Like it kind of just naturally made sense. With a lot of people uh, in my network, I also see are very talented, but also very introverted. And they, they aren't necessarily keen to explore networking the same ways um, that most of us are, are used to, right? Hitting them up on LinkedIn or having a coffee conversation or, or creating that uh, small talk experience that leads to bigger things. Um, I think that that becomes a big barrier for a lot of folks. And I see that, you know, then they go into sort of more creative fields like art, um, animation, production, uh, and analysis, things like that. I find that, you know, it's easy to say, hey, for me right now, like I have uh, five or six people I'm talking to that are hiring managers. I can get people hooked up with jobs today if I wanted to. I can even post that on my LinkedIn. Yet I don't get that same um, attention for on those posts because I feel a lot of introverted folks are just not, a, they're kind of afraid to ask for help or there isn't that recognition of how they communicate. 
do you see that in some of uh, your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, what's kind of strange and interesting about myself is I'm actually an introvert myself. And so I would much rather prefer a night's dinner or me watching a football game by myself at night. Um, I enjoy speaking and, and talking to people, but I, I can actually identify with somebody who's introverted. And I would say it's an extra step. It's a learning process. Um, it's putting yourself out there. And it just takes a step and it takes a little bit of gumption, if you will. Um, it is tough, but I think it's baby steps. And so what I tell even students when I would talk to college students who have this, a lot of your introverts, you'll find them in STEM majors. So you'll mm -hmm. find them in your engineering fields. You'll find them in computer analytics where they're more, and that's fine. That's your strengths. And I, I couldn't encourage you more, but as you start to move up in the world, you're going to need your network. And so it could simply be beating for an introvert that's extremely introverted. It takes a lot for somebody just to message somebody on LinkedIn where, you know, I grew up in a different generation. I had to actually go out and to the office and meet people hand to hand and shake their hand. And we didn't have these kind of tools at our, our, research, at our uh, fingertips. So I'd say with introverts, start with a group, volunteer in your community first. Volunteer for an organization that you're passionate about, that matters to you. I volunteer at the Covenant House right here in Atlanta, Georgia, that helps out homeless youth and youth in transition from housing problems. And so we give back to the community. A lot of times you'll meet people with that same shared goal, that same shared passion. And when you meet with them and you're passionate about something, guess what? You're kind of your anxiety goes away. And you, then you begin coming friends with these people naturally building these relationships and then if you start out that way you can really start it in anything you do and and that's a, a beautiful segue into going back to belonging and what we're talking about with altruism i think all of that links in because we may not think of others when we're thinking of improving ourselves right away i mean i always say to a lot of friends of mine too and, and others that are also looking for career path uh, advice i'm not there yet you know, no, I don't. I, nobody's uh, in my circle is a, a multi-billionaire or millionaire. But what I would like to say is, at least, like you said, focus on the things that make you happy, that give you a purpose. But that altruism is key because I found that when you uh, surround yourself around a cause or a community goal and an objective, there's just it just opens your world to so many more things. It makes you feel better. Um, so whether you're introverted or extroverted, that gives you a sense of belonging because ultimately there's, there's something you can do that can maybe do some positive, uh, some good in the world, right? Some net positive. Um, what do you think that has, uh, or how do you think that plays a role in today's world now? Like considering there's a lot more awareness on things that are extrinsic to us, right? Like things we cannot control, um, with the world being more remote, do you see that we are more heading towards adding that emotional intelligence, that altruistic factor into our lives more? I worry about it a lot of times right now because we have gotten so comfortable in the virtual environment, which I understand their safety and everything like that. But, you know, eventually um, the best thing to do to network with people is face to face. Uh, you can't take away that face to face interaction. And so I do worry about a little bit that we're, we're kind of getting away from 
you know, with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and everything like that. But I think at the end of the day, if you have a strong networking, you're using your digital resources to utilize. So LinkedIn is simply a digital tool for you to have all your networks in place. It doesn't work itself. So you can work on that digitally. You can work on things, you know, if you can't meet somebody face-to-face, -face, then it does give you, on the positive side, it gives you that extra option that you didn't have before. And so, you know, we, people remember Skype or FaceTime. We would do that occasionally before. But I think more and more days nowadays, especially when you're reaching out to LinkedIn people, and maybe they're across the globe, we should utilize technology to get on a platform like this. And so if you're interested in a career and you want to talk to somebody, I think the simple thing is, is you network with them, you send them a message that you would like to learn more about their career, maybe even buy them lunch. There's a novel concept. Have Uber Eats deliver their lunch, talk 20 minutes and really gain a network connection right there. And I don't think there's a lot of people that would turn down a free lunch right now. You know, that's a very good idea. I mean, uh, back in the agency world, when I was uh, in uh, in agencies in digital marketing, that was the, the carrot. That was the way to get people to listen. Uh, everybody likes to talk with a little bit of food in front of them. And uh, I 100% uh, agree with that, uh, with that opinion right there. And one of the things I, I wanted to, um, one of the last questions I had for you, and this is just off the, you know, current like interests that I have, is how important do you think uh, reading and reading comprehension is in today's world with you know, our attention spans going left and right, all multiple screens. Uh, and then, as you said, the content consumption we have, the patterns of content consumption are going up so fast that I don't think creation is keeping up uh, with how much we are consuming. Love the question because it's actually a subchapter in my book about reading. And it seems so foreign and obsolete now because we've gotten into, you know, headlines and digital formats and communication. And we've almost forgotten how to read. And I would just challenge you this way. Most of the millionaires that are in North America, there was a survey done. The millionaires that were self-made read one to do nonfiction books a month. Wow. And so you think about that, somebody is honing their crafts, they're learning about business, or you look at all the stuff we talked about today. We briefly brushed on it today. We, if you don't know what emotional intelligence is, there's tons of books out there on emotional intelligence. Um, if you don't know how to communicate your message or your elevator pitch, there's books on that. So everything we learn comes from reading and knowledge, and we don't spend enough time reading. Um, and I'm right there. I don't spend enough time on it either. I do try to focus on it, carve a little bit of time out to read things that are pertinent to my development. But I would 100% agree with you. We've almost forgotten what books look like in this country. And the more you read and the more knowledge you are, there's a book called Outliers. And it's a very important book because it says it's, it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert in your field. And that's kind of the concept of the book. And the whole reason is, is you're learning, you're developing. Anything you want to do new, you can read a book and learn. 
think about that. We forget that. How cool is that? If we want to learn to invest better, we can buy books that teach us how to do that. We just don't. And it's kind of been kind of this um, this 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 past movement that happened in the '70s when there was no TV or people couldn't afford them. People read books, and we've got to get back to that today. So I appreciate the question. Do you think? And and honestly, and I I'm in the same boat where I know the the effect reading comprehension will have on, on me. Do you think podcasting or sound bites, not sound bites per se, but audio books? have the same effect or can they be just as powerful? Yeah, you know, audiobooks, you know, you, you, if I talk to a truck driver, it's really hard for them if they're going to spend time with their family and they're spending 60 hours on the road to read a book. And certainly I understand that. So I think audiobooks are better than nothing. Um, but I think you do need to supplement it. Even, well, how about a couple of articles? You know, if I don't have time to read a full book, I might pick out a couple of articles on networking, on career development, latest job interview trends. And so I read tons of articles. And so if that book, you pick up a physical book and you get intimidated by the size of it, and you're like, well, I'll never finish this. How about researching a couple hours, subscribing to some newsletters where you get these email blasts. And if you see a topic, don't just skim the topic. We do that nowadays. We just read the headline. We don't read the content inside the article. And so if you just spend, just say 10 minutes reading an article, just think about how much more you'll have, more knowledge you'll have than the, than the average person out there. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I know you're a busy man. So uh, I just wanna thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Before I let you go, just a quick question um, on, and this, I throw this out all the time. Is there a cause or uh, a message you want to leave for, for uh, viewers today? Yeah, I would just say, you know, life is so short. Uh, we, we look at this life as being long and that's because we live in every day. We're in our own, our own bodies, so we don't even realize what happens. But if you take a look at North America, the average statistics is a man lives about 77 years old and a woman lives to be about 78 years old. And you look at the concept of life, it, you, you look at it a moment a day, that's not really a long time. And so it's really a short amount of time in this moment. And so I just challenge everybody, if you look at a gravestone, and I don't mean this morbid, but it is reality. You look at a gravestone, there's usually two numbers. There's a number when you began, and then there's an ending number. But what's most important about a gravestone is that thing in the middle between the numbers, which is a dash. And so what will you do inside your dash? And that's what I want to leave people with. That is very powerful. Um, and I'm going to think about that one too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zach. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Ashish. I appreciate it. Always enjoy talking about career stuff. I appreciate the great questions. Love it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.